Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Right now, I look forward to Tuesdays because we're going to go back into the Old West. And there's nobody better than to go into the Old West than old Dr. History. (laughs) It's true, Zeb. I am getting older. Yeah, but you're still younger than I am. That's true. I'll never be as old as you. Yeah, quit rubbing that. (laughs) Okay. So i got to say hi to some people. Oh, good. I like this. Yeah. So Eric over in Salem, over in the Willamette Willamette Valley. Willamette. Willamette Valley. Yep, there you go. I'll help you. I'll help you. Thank you. you. Uh, he uh, sent me a lot of information, and I appreciate that. He gave me some corrections that I need to make and also told me about some other wagon trains that got caught in the Sierras besides the Donner Party. Yeah, so I'm going to look into that. He also suggested that we do a show on the Whitmans, and that's what we're going to do today. I've the heard Whitman. that name. Yeah, the Whitman Massacre. Yeah. 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 So we're going to talk about that. And also, Jeff, who is a longtime listener, uh, he, he's over he was raised over north carolina so thanks again jeff he he's been listening for years to he's it. over in south carolina north carolina north carolina yeah. he's well, a tar heel that's where he was raised okay. yeah and then mark uh suggested a show on the hawaiian cattle industry which is very big. Yeah, and I very have, big. I'm going to have to do some research on that. So. There is a ranch called the Kona Ranch, K-O-N-A, and they are really big over there. But they also had usually at one time a string of restaurants over here. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I appreciate those uh, suggestions. So we're going to talk about the Whitmans uh, and the Spaldings today. Mm. So Marcus and Narcissa Whitman were Christian missionaries who left their homes in upstate New York, traveled with another missionary couple, Henry and Eliza Spaulding. You've probably heard of them, Zeb. Yeah. They uh, made baseball gloves. (laughs) No, they didn't. Oh. (laughs) But they headed to what was then called the Oregon Country in 1836, and their goal, their mission, was to Christianize the Indians. Uh Uh-huh. Now, the story of Marcus and Narcissa Whitman has been told and retold so many times in classrooms throughout American history that it's sometimes, you're not sure what is really fact and what is fiction, but we're going to do the best we can. I see. Okay. Now, prior to 1803, the United States didn't even stretch halfway across North America. Thomas Jefferson purchased the Louisiana Territory from France, which ex- essentially expanded America two-thirds of the way west to, toward the Pacific. And then, of course, we know he sent Lewis and Clark and the Corps of Discovery to go check out the new purchase. And when they came back, they had these fantastic tales of strange creatures, amazing landscapes, and, of course, tribes of Indians, uh, pretty amazing stuff. But a few years later, a wave of religious revivalism called the Second Great Awakening swept across the East Coast, including a particular hot spot in western and central New York uh, state, and it was called the Burned Over District. Hmm. And it was so named... Burned Over? Yeah, Burned Over, and it was named that because of the highly publicized revivals that crisscrossed the region to such a great extent that spiritual excitement seemed to set the area on fire. I'd never heard that. I hadn't either. But, uh, uh, you know, you th- at that time, there was a lot of this uh, revivalist stuff going on. You know, they'd move into a town. And, and this was in what year? In the new, uh, about the 1830s. Oh, my. Uh, right in there. Okay. 
But uh, so caught up in this excitement was a young man named Marcus Whitman and Narcissa. Now, Marcus dreamed of becoming a minister, but did not have the money for such schooling. So he studied medicine for two years with an experienced physician and received his medical degree from Fairfield Medical College in New York. Now, he practiced medicine for a few years in Canada, but he was interested in going west. In 1835, Whitman traveled with the missionary, a guy by the name of Samuel Parker, who eventually introduced him to Narcissa, to present-day northwest Montana and northern Idaho, to minister to bands of the Flathead and Nez Perce Indians. And during this journey, he treated several fur trappers during an outbreak of cholera. And at the end of their stay, he promised the Nez Perce that he would return with other missionaries and teachers to live with them. So he promised that he would go back. Now, was this with, uh, this is earlier than Chief Joseph, wasn't it? With the Nez Perce? Yes, I believe okay. so. Right. So now, he wasn't married yet, but he wanted to go back. So Narcissa was a primary school teacher in New York, but like many young women of the Boy, era. what a change of culture. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. She became caught up in this second great awakening, and she decided that her true calling was to become a missionary. But she wasn't allowed to do so as a single woman. So after applying for missionary service, she met and married Dr. Marcus Whitman uh, in 1836. Now, along with fellow missionaries Henry and Eliza Spaulding, they became the first Americans to travel overland on what would become the Oregon Trail. You know, the last two weeks we've talked about the Oregon Trail a yeah. lot, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so the Oregon Trail, which to uh, would become the Pacific, uh, to the Pacific Northwest. So they went the through this area. Exactly. Yeah, they started it. They made it to Fort Hall and then all the way to Fort Boise. Mm. Uh, they had a a four-wheeled wagon as far as Fort Hall, but that's when the wagon kind of fell apart and they converted it to a two-wheeled wagon and made it all the way to Fort Boise. But Narcissa and Eliza were the first white women to make it to the Columbia River Basin. Uh, and so they proved that a wagon could make it into the Columbia River Basin. Do you realize how scary, honestly, I'm Yo, not trying to be yeah, facetious, yeah. that would have been over 200 years ago? Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, the rough territory, the country. And the, not knowing from one minute to the next. Exactly. You didn't stop at a, a store in a 7-Eleven and no. get a big gulp. Nope. But the Spaldings decided to establish their mission on Nez Perce land at a place called Lapway, near, uh-huh. near present day Lewiston, Idaho, the Whitmans headed a bit farther west and established their mission at a place called, and I'm I'm not sure about the spelling or the pronunciation, Wailatpu. It's near present day Walla Walla. Why don't you just say Walla Walla? I'm going to say Walla Walla. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'll say. Now, you may ask Zeb, why didn't the two couples band together to establish a joint mission? I was going to. Where there would be safety in numbers. Like, say, you might ask that question, so I'll answer that. They didn't get along. I'm not. Now, Zeb, don't get ahead of me. I don't know. (laughs) Well, okay, think of this, Zeb. After eight months of overland travel, spending every single day and night with the same people, with their same possibly annoying 
personality quirks and their same uncomfortable demeanors, the two couples were right sick of each other. Enough said. <laughs> if they hadn't separated on arrival, I'd say there's a good chance that they might have massacred each other. <laughs> so you, you were in the right track there, Zeb. Hatfields and McCoys. Yeah. Well, anyway, so the Spaldings, they're they built their mission for the Nez Perce. They also established the first European-American home in what is today the state of Idaho. They were also responsible for bringing the first printing press into the territory and were generally successful in their interactions with the Nez Perce, baptizing several of their leaders. I have a question. Okay. Now, you said that at Fort Hall, they went away from the four-wheeled wagon to the to two-wheeled two-wheel. wagon. Right. They brought up. Printing press well, on now, that? No, I'm not, no, not necessarily. But eventually, he got a printing press there. Oh, so I'm going to guess that that came later. Oh, okay. Yeah. So anyway, they baptized several of their leaders, and they started teaching the tribal members. Henry developed kind of an appropriate written script for the Nez Perce language, and actually translated parts of the Bible, including the entire book of Matthew, for the youths of his congregation. Hmm. Now. Eliza Spalding was well-liked by the Nez Perce people, uh, whose women often followed her around her home, wanting to see how she cooked, cleaned, dressed, and cared for her children. She was liked by them and respected for her courage and for her attempts to act as kind of a buffer between the Nez Perce and Henry, who was not always well-liked. Okay, He was inflexible on gambling, liquor, and polygamy, and even went so far as whipping some Nez Perce or having them whip each other. Henry was the opposite of Eliza in his relationship with the Nez Perce, where she sought to understand them, he sought for them to understand him. So there was quite a conflict Boy, yeah. How between come, the two. Why did they pay him any allegiance whatsoever? I, I don't know. Yeah. Good question. But we're going to leave them. We're going to head now to the Whitmans. Okay, we're going there. The Whitman Settlement. Knock on their door politely. Yes. The Whitman Settlement was in the territory of both the Cayuse and some of the southern Nez Perce tribes. Now, Marcus farmed. He provided medical care while Narcissa set up a school for the Indian children. In the beginning, the missionaries and the natives got along fine. The Cayuses and the Whitmans planted crops. They built buildings and shared meat rations. When Narcissa gave birth to a daughter in 1837. The chiefs and the native women, they would visit to welcome this new baby. Uh, over time, the relationship between the natives and the missionaries kind of turned sour. Hmm. The natives were interested in adopting some of the ways of the white men, but they were not going to eliminate their own nomadic way of life. Besides what, uh, farming was meant to be women's work according to native tradition. The, the men did not think that was appropriate. Did they accept Christianity? Somewhat. Somewhat, yes. Uh, anyway, all this kind of disappointed the missionaries who felt they should be more excited about becoming successful Christian farmers. There were other cultural conflicts, too. For example, the Cayuses used gift-giving as a social and a political custom and believed in openly sharing the land. Now, the white missionaries, however, saw them as extortion. They only gave gifts as payment for work. They also believed in private property. Mm. Now, furthermore, they Mm -hmm. viewed many of the tribal customs as sinful. So, you can see there was 
conflict going on all yeah, along here. Yeah. Now, Whitman became further distracted in 1838 when more missionaries arrived and established two more missions in the Oregon Territory. Then in 1839, Whitman's baby daughter drowned in a river near the mission. Ooh. And this, of course, sent his, his dear wife into a deep depression. I mean, you can imagine, you know, losing a child out oh here in the my. wilderness. Yeah. Anyway, uh, a couple of years later in 1840, three wagon loads of families arrived at the mission, followed by 24 immigrants from Missouri in 1841. After traveling to Missouri in the winter of 1842, Whitman returned the following year with 800 immigrants. Then 1,500 arrived in 1844, followed by nearly 3,000 in 1845. So look at what the Indians Indians didn't like that. See what they're seeing, Zeb. So, however, their relationship with the natives soon soured to the point where both Marcus and Narcissa eventually abandoned their goal of trying to convert them to Christianity, and instead they focused on assisting the overland travelers on their way to the Willamette Valley at the end of the Oregon trail so they kind of gave up on on their their mission goal well marcus continued to treat patients both american and indian but the influx of settlers in the territory brought new infectious diseases to the indian tribes including a severe epidemic of measles in 1847 the lack of immunity to these diseases resulted in high death rates for the Indians, especially their children, dying in large numbers. Mm. Now, the Whitmans cared for both Cayuse and settlers, but half of the Cayuse died, including nearly all the Cayuse children. Uh, are they blaming that, the yes. death on the whites, right? Yes. I saw, oh, okay. Seeing that more settlers had survived, the Cayuse suspected the Whitmans were to blame oh, boy. for the devastating deaths among their people. Yeah. Well, the Cayuse tradition held that medicine men were personally responsible for the patient's recovery. So their despair at the deaths, especially of their children, among a number of other misunderstandings and hurt feelings, culminated with a number of Cayuse ambushing the settlers at the mission and killing both Marcus and Narcissa, oh my. as well as 11 other people living there, and that was on November 29th, 1847. Wow. So the Cayuse warriors destroyed many of the buildings at the Whitman Mission. They held another 45 or so women and children captive for a month before releasing them after some negotiations. Well, this event became known to Americans as the Whitman Massacre, and it triggered the larger conflict that became known to non-Indians as the Cayuse War. Were there any writings or diaries from the Whitmans that were found? I don't know that. I, it would be interesting it, if there it was. It would be, but like I said at the beginning, there's different versions of this whole story, depending on, uh, for example, I'm going I'm to mention this, it's important to note that at this point, the reasons behind the killings and the conflict are different depending on which perspective you take. For example, from the standpoint of the Americans, these poor missionaries were simply trying to save the souls of the heathens, and for the, their efforts they were slaughtered. Okay, that's the American version. 
All right. From the Cayuse standpoint, the Americans had broken a number of promises. They brought with them diseases that literally wiped out nearly their entire population. The only way to put an end to this suffering they were experiencing was to wipe out the Americans. So, as Dr. History, which way do you lean? I see it both ways, Eb. I, I mean, do too. you know. <laughs> Yeah. You know, we brought disease to the American Indians, and it wiped out, in some cases, entire tribes. Yeah. Measles, smallpox, all of these things. Well, after, we're, after the, the massacre, if you want to call it that, the hunt for the Indians who participated in the massacre resulted in the eventual hanging of five Indian, what they call perpetrators, which is questionable because there's conflicting evidence that those five men were even the same ones who participated in the killing. So was this the army or you know, who did this? I'm not sure if it was the army or who went after them. I, I, I don't know that for sure. But somebody had to hang for it. And these men paid the price. Well, so retelling of these events became more and more exaggerated over the years. Uh, Even eyewitnesses were known to exaggerate their stories for shock value. In time, even the reasons behind key events were clouded by myth and convenience, uh, such as the notion that Marcus Whitman saved Oregon by traveling to the nation's capital and single-handedly convincing lawmakers to establish the Oregon Territory. Not again. This happened to you last week. I think so. One second. Here we go again. All right, we were cut off again, and uh, Dr. History was in full stride. He stopped, he backed up, and now he's going to take it from where the Whitmans had been massacred and the blame was being blamed on everybody. Right. And after all this was said and done, like I said, there were eyewitnesses, there were people that uh, really kind of made up stories about this whole thing, and one of the myths was that Marcus Whitman saved Oregon by traveling to uh, Washington, D.C., and that he single-handedly convinced lawmakers to establish the Oregon Territory, and that's probably totally Did false. they have any assistance, uh, anybody, anybody that worked with them and for them in the... Uh, in, in the mission. In the mission, yeah. Yeah, and, and I believe uh, those were some of those that got killed in, in the massacre. I yeah. see. But, uh, you know, after their deaths, the Whitmans became martyrs to the American cause of manifest destiny, you know. Right. And their legends just grew in size as well as historical, unfortunately, inaccuracy. What about the family that went into the baseball business and built the Spaldings? Gloves, the Spaldings? You know, I didn't, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, I didn't follow them past, uh, because I, I kind of wanted to concentrate more on the Whitmans and the things that took place with them. Didn't the Spalding family, they raised the family up there, I believe, and... Aren't there still relatives that live in that area? There could be, you know, and maybe I need to pursue the Spaldings a little bit and know more about that. But uh, when Marcus Whitman went back to um, Washington, D.C., he did go back and bring uh, more settlers and more immigrants this way. To the tune of thousands. Right, exactly. Uh, Like I say, they were really responsible, the Spaldings and the Whitmans, 
because the first two white women to ever get into the Columbia River Basin. Yeah. And But when he went back, he stopped at a rendezvous where Jim Bridger was. And Jim Bridger had been carrying a uh, a an arrowhead in his back for about four and a half years. He and, uh, uh, let's see, I think uh, Fitz, Fitzpatrick were attacked by Indians, and, he, and uh, Jim Bridger was shot with two arrows in his back. Now his partner, I think it was Fitz, Fitzpatrick, I'm not sure, I'd have to look at that, uh, dug one of the arrows out <laughs> with his knife. <laughs> the arrowheads. Right. The, the, the shaft comes out, but right. the arrowhead is still left right. in. So four and a half years later, Whitman was there, and uh, Jim Bridger asked him to uh, take that arrowhead out. And so he dug into, uh, he laid over a log. <laughs> Whitman got his uh, surgical instruments, and he dug and he dug and he pulled and he pulled because over the years, this arrowhead cartilage had grown around it. Oh, my. And this was actually a metal uh, arrowhead. Oh, my. And the tip had been bent, and it was kind of caught on a bone. <laughs> You're making me sweat. <laughs> but he got that arrowhead out. Uh. Uh, he was surrounded by uh, a group of Indians and trappers watching surgery. And another trapper happened to have an arrowhead in his back. And after that, he asked Whitman to... Dig that one out as well. I doubt seriously if I would have raised my hand. <laughs> so, Good story. This that's morning. the story of the Whitmans and the Spaldings. Absolutely. Check on the Spaldings for next yeah, week. Yeah, I need to follow up yeah. on them and see whatever happened with them. Uh, we're going to have a program next week. Yes. Okay. And uh, then we'll have one, of course, the week after, the day after the 5th, which would be the 6th. And you're going to be in town, aren't you? Yes, okay. I will. Yes, I we'll will look be forward to it. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, and that's Dr. History with another great historical dissertation. Thank you so much. You Appreciate it. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.